0: Well, if you're seeing this, then I want to take just a moment to welcome you to Snowmageddon 2017. We're here today just in case we don't have the opportunity to worship with all of you this weekend. We're so excited to kick off a brand new series called The Best Year Ever. And we're kicking off The Best Year Ever no matter what. You're going to hear from Pastor Brian in just a moment. And God has laid some tremendous principles on his heart so that you can develop a plan to make this the best year ever for your marriage. I hope that you're enjoying some time with with family today. You know, we had this plan to share with you all that God has done at Westridge Church through the end of the year, through our gift offering. It is really exciting, but I'm not gonna share it with you like this. So next Sunday, God willing, since it's supposed to be 65 degrees next week, we'll plan to share with you exactly what God has done at that point. You know, there's still a great way that we can all come together and worship in gratitude to truly start off the best year ever, and that's in giving together. We really see the impact of a generous church on an ongoing basis at Westridge. I think this is the most generous church on the planet, and we've seen God continue to be put on display by this church over and over again. So if you would like to start off the year in giving, you can do that right now by going to westridge.com give. About half of you give online anyway, and the, other, the rest of you, may want to take the opportunity to get that started today, you can do that on our website as well. But for now, I hope that you enjoy your day with your family and enjoy this encouragement from God's Word from Pastor Brian Beloy.
1: Hey, if you're watching this video, uh, we want to welcome you to this broadcast. Uh, we shot this on a Thursday, uh, anticipating the fact that there could be some snow in the forecast. And uh, so if you're watching this right now, we want you to be safe being at home. Uh, or if you're watching it at your office, we hope that you'll enjoy this broadcast of the f- very first message in our uh, The Best Year Ever series, All on Marriage. A um, couple words about the series that we're getting ready to start. First of all, it's going to be a P- PG-13 uh, series for our church, so not a real good time for our, uh, the children to be in here over the next four weeks. Um, also, I know that there's a lot of expectations here. When we, Anytime that we get into a marriage series, um, a lot of people think this is going to fix everything that that I'm going through. And we're going to cover a lot of stuff in this series, but we're not going to be able to cover everything. And then over the next few weeks, um, the next two weeks actually, I'm planning on having my wife Amy up here with me speaking. So I'm looking forward to that. You don't want to miss it. And then the final Sunday of this series, uh, our counselor, uh, my wife and our, our counselor, uh, Chip Judd, will be here. And promise, uh, I promise you, you don't want to miss Uh, That particular Sunday. And then I also have a word to our singles. I know that uh, not everybody that's watching this is married, and some of you uh, are single by choice, some of you are not. Uh, A lot of what we're going to be talking about in the series is is about relationships and about marriage. But if you're single and you're hoping to be married one day, uh, I want to encourage you not to miss anything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks uh, because we're going to be saying a lot of things that will hopefully help you in the future. Now, I want to tell you, I'm really passionate about this. Particular series that we're involved in right now, uh, the series on marriage, and uh, reason is is I'm deeply burdened uh, for the marriages not only in our church, but I'm also burdened for the marriages in our community. A few weeks ago, uh, I had a, a kind of a rare come forward invitation here at Westridge, and I was standing right down here in the front, and I was welcoming people to come down and to pray with me. And in the twelve forty five service alone, I stayed probably thirty to forty five minutes after the service and just prayed with. I think probably nine or ten um, couples, some single individuals, uh, about marriage issues, about uh, situations they had been through concerning a divorce. So just really came out of that particular morning deeply burdened about marriages, and it's kind of set up what we're getting ready to, to do, not just here today, but over the next few weeks. Um, we're approaching 20 years as a church. In September, we're going to be celebrating 20 years as a church, and we're, in other words, we're no longer going to be a teenager. Um, but during this time, I've watched. Um, uh, some close friends of mine in, in this church and outside this church um, get divorced. I've, I've seen affairs uncovered. Uh, I've seen some inappropriate behavior in, in marriages exposed and, and, and just watched a lot of unhealthiness in the homes, uh, not just in our church, but in our community. And, and it's one of those things that, that deeply burdens me. And it's something that uh, I feel like we need to dive in and address from time to time to talk about marriages to talk about relationships. I read an article several years back from Detail Magazine. It said this, Everybody's cheating, why aren't you? That was the uh, topic of the the article. Not a Christian magazine article written to men, but it said this, What none of us want to consider when we get to that forsaking all other clause in our marriage vows is that infidelity is more common than obesity in this country. According to the CDC, only 25% of Americans qualify as fat, While 74% of men and 68% of women, according to infidelityfacts.com, say they would have an affair if they knew they wouldn't get caught. Somewhere between I do and be sure to leave the light on, we became the men that we said we would never be, the kind who would kiss their wives goodnight and then fantasize about the redhead who was on the elliptical that morning. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be giving some instructions from what God's Word says on... um, What God says about how to have a great marriage. Because I don't want you just to have the best year ever as it relates to your marriage or your family. We really want this to be a turning point for your marriage. We want to see uh, generational sins fall. We want to see healing take place. We want to see uh, marriage is restored and, and to be made whole once again. We want to we see families put back together. We want to equip you and inspire you with transformational information that will, will help you to have the kind of marriage that God intended for you to have. But over the next several weeks, I also want you to know that we're not going to pull any punches. Uh, we may uncover some wounds. Some of this may become painful for you as you listen to this. But we're going to point you to the truth about what the Bible says about relationships. And we're going to direct you to the one who has the ability to bring healing to whatever relational issues that you might be dealing with right now. So, are you ready to jump in with us? Well, if you are, I want you to grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn it to the book of Matthew. Uh, as you're doing that, uh, I, want you, I ran into something funny about marriage that I want to share with you. Um, a few years back, they interviewed several elementary-aged kids about, um, just asked them some questions about dating and marriage. And one of the questions they asked is this, how do you decide who you should marry? Well, Alan, who is 10 years old, said, Well, you have to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you all like, that you like sports, and she should keep the chip and dip coming. Um, Another question that was asked was, How can a stranger tell if two people are married? And here was the answer from Derek, who's eight years old. Derek said, You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. Another question that was asked, What do people do on a date? Well, Lynette, who is eight, said, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. And then Martin also answered the same question. He's eight years old. He said, on a first date, they should tell each other lies, and then usually, that usually gets them to be interested enough to go on a second date. And then here's another question. It said, how would you make a marriage work? Well, Ricky, who's 10 years old, says, tell your wife that she looks uh, pretty even Uh, She looks pretty good, even if she looks like a truck. Now, kids are not really supposed to know the ins and outs of marriage, and and certainly of relationships and dating, but I think their responses helped me to set up the point that there's a lot of bad information out there when it comes to marriage and relationships. I think most people go into marriage unprepared, they go in uninformed, and they certainly go in maybe a bit tainted. The truth is, most people have never seen what a healthy marriage is really supposed to look like, uh, or... A lot of folks didn't grow up in a home where it was modeled, and so oftentimes people go into marriage totally unprepared. I mean, think about this for a moment. Our culture makes you study for hours, requires you to even take several tests to get a driver's license, but requires absolutely nothing ever, nothing whatsoever, to get a a marriage license. And so as a result, many people go into marriage with unrealistic expectations. We have hopes and dreams that never get realized and then we, we don't know what to, to do or where to turn when things start to sour. So where do some of those expectations come from? Well, whether we like it or not, um, the media has a tremendous impact on marriages. Now, now we have a social networking uh, aspect that's even playing a role into relationships. Um, I've said this before that Facebook has, has been cited oftentimes as a major agent in relational challenges. Several years ago a British-based website called divorceonline.co.uk, which is a site that actually provides um, resources for couples seeking divorce, studied 5,000 divorce papers filed in the U.S., and in 19, uh, 989 cases, or 20% of those filings, the study found that the word Facebook was used or mentioned in reasons for the separation request. Now, I cannot tell you how many people just even in our own church or people even that I've met outside of our church who have told me that the reason, one of the reasons why they were getting a divorce is because their, their husband or their wife hooked up with an old spouse or an old uh, boyfriend or girlfriend on Facebook. And so um, Romans chapter 12 verse 2, um, I know I told you to turn to Matthew, but I'm going to read this just quickly. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, here's my prayer as we get into this series. My prayer is that God will transform our marriages by changing, by changing the way that we think about marriage. Now, let me talk first of all, what what about what a marriage is not? There are a lot of myths about marriage, and I'm going to go give you about 10 or 11 of those things. Number one, if a couple truly loves one one another, they'll never argue or have problems. Well, here's the thing. Every marriage is going to have some bumps along the way. There are going to be some struggles over things like money and children and sex. If you don't work through those differences, walls get put up. But if you do, if you do it the right way, a little argument can actually be a positive thing in a marriage. Second myth is this. A marriage makes a person a complete human being. There's a line in the movie, Jerry Maguire, where Tom Cruise looks at uh, Renee Zellweger and says, you complete me. You complete me. Well, that's a myth. The only re- relationship that can ever truly complete you is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you're looking for your spouse to complete you, you're in for a big letdown. The third myth is this, and there's a lot of myths about this topic, but this is true here. Sex is really not that important in a marriage. The fact is, is that sex is very important in a marriage. Matter of fact, it's a gift from God to a marriage. And many times, uh, I think it helps cure what ails you. But I've found, and stu- I found, and, and studies confirm, that most men don't complain about the quality of their sex lives. They complain about the frequency of their sex lives. Um, here's a myth for engaged couples, um, that once we, get engage- once we get married, we're, g- we're going to have sex every night. Not going to happen. Uh, myth for aging couples, that we will have less sex as we get older. Ah, that's not true either. Um, a lot of people think in a marriage that we should be having rock star sex every night. Let me tell you a little secret about that. That only happens on the porn channel. I don't know if you know this or not, but they're acting. It's not reality. Number four myth. The key to having a lasting marriage is finding Mr. or Mrs. Right. Now, you can disagree with me on this one, but I don't necessarily think that there is one specific person in the world for each of us. I've had many times, uh, and I've heard this many, many times from people who've had affairs, uh, that I didn't marry the right person. Listen. When you got married, that person became the right person in God's eyes. Number five myth is that the purpose of marriage is, on, is happiness. Now, there's no doubt that part of the reason God gave us marriage was for joy and fulfillment. But what I've also learned is that marriage is, is much more about my holiness than it is about my happiness. Most marriages go through spells where, where one person or maybe both people are, are unhappy. But God uses those times to, de- to develop in us and, and to work uh, things in our lives. And um, I, r- I heard this quote one time that marriage is the sandpaper that God uses to rub off some of the rough edges in our lives. Can I get an amen on that one? Matter of fact, there are, I've heard this also, there are three rings involved in marriage. You have the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and then the suffering. It's kind of cheesy. Number six myth. Married couples should do everything together. In a, in a good marriage, uh, marriage m- couples normally will spend about 70 to 80% of their time together. But if you're going to have a healthy marriage, there has to be room for individual growth. There has to be some time for privacy. The seventh myth is this. Having children will make two people in a marriage closer and increase happiness. Now, although a child can bring people an amazing amount of of joy, most studies show that a first child actually brings stress into a marriage and can actually push a couple apart. The, The eighth myth is this. Once I get married, he or she will change. Listen, that rarely happens. And I've seen this so often. I've I've never seen a marriage to be a fix for lazy, inconsiderate, rude, or unspiritual. Most of the time, those things only intensify once you get married. The ninth myth is this. Spouses should be able to read one another's minds. That's only true if your spouse works for the psychic friends network. And then the, teth, uh, the tenth myth is this. A person's family background has little effect on their marriage. Um, psychologist Kevin Lehman says in his book, uh, Sheep Music... That one of the most crowded places on the face of the earth is the marriage bed. Because everybody from your past is affecting your sexual intimacy. Your parents are under your pillow. Your in-laws are under your wife's pillow. Your siblings are at the foot of your bed. He says, we all come into the marriage with more baggage than we know. Here's a little piece of advice before you get married. Go to your fiancé's family reunion. Why? Because they're all part of the package. Now, let me give you a bonus myth. Number 11... A marriage can never survive an affair. Actually, 31% of marriages that go through an affair do survive. And I, I know couples who not only have survived, but they've actually thrived um, after something like that uh, happens in their marriage history. But listen, don't, under, don't misunderstand. There are consequences. Major damage is done when affairs take place. But God can actually repair a marriage that has gone through an affair. So there are a lot of myths out there. And that's why it's important to be a student of marriage, to be a, a student of your spouse, to, to read books, to go to conferences, to, to dig in, do the, to do the hard work, to, to go to counseling if you need to. Well, let me answer this question because we want to get to the bottom line of, of what we're talking about here today. What actually is a marriage? A marriage is like a house. If it's going to survive, it has to be built on a foundation, a solid foundation. And that foundation is not feelings because feelings come and go. It's not love because you don't always feel in love with the person that you married. It's not a piece of paper because contracts mean very little to people nowadays. It's not a ceremony. Uh, We easily uh, forget those ceremonies. But here's the truth. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant made between man, between a woman, and God for a lifetime. Let me say that again. A covenant, uh, marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant made between a man, a woman, and God for a lifetime. A covenant, as defined by scriptures, is a solemn and binding relationship which is meant to last a lifetime. Uh, Dennis Rainey, who is a well known Christian family uh, life speaker, he writes this. He says, For the past two years, I have had a growing concern that the Christian community has passively watched the dumbing down of the marriage covenant. Marriage has become little more than an upgraded social contract between two people, not a holy covenant between a man and a woman and their God for a lifetime. In the Old Testament days, a covenant was a solemn and and binding contract. Um, When two people entered into a covenant with one another, a goat or a lamb would be slain and its carcass would be cut in half. With the two halves separated and lying on the ground, the two people who had formed the covenant would um, solemnize their, their promise by walking between the two halves saying, may God do so to me, cut me in half, in other words, if I ever break this covenant with you and God. You get the feeling that a covenant in those days had just a little bit more substance than the covenants that we make today. Think about your wedding for a moment. If you were a bride, you probably came down the the aisle and you you walked on a beautiful white runner. In the Old Testament, if you were a Jewish bride, think about this for a moment, you and your groom walked between the cut up carcass of a dead animal with blood all over the ground. Now, I'm not going to dive into the symbolism of all of that, but it represented the seriousness of the covenant that was being made between a husband and a wife. We see the very first marriage covenant created in the Garden of Eden. Moses writes this in Genesis 2, uh, verse 21. He says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, be, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Literally, we could paraphrase that verse to read like this For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. And they shall stick like glue. He shall stick like glue to his wife. Meaning that nothing but death could ever separate them. They shall become like one flesh as they enter into a covenant relationship. One day the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus about this whole issue of divorce. And Jesus used it as an opportunity to reinforce the idea of a marriage covenant. Uh, In Matthew 19. We're finally at Matthew. Matthew 19 verse 4 and 6. Jesus says this. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When you at- attend a wedding, you're not just attending a ceremony where everyone dances, where there's a big party taking place, you're witnessing a covenant being, uh, being made before God. That's what's happening during a, a wedding ceremony. I mean, a, a covenant is being established. I mean, think of the symbolism of that. Two lives are, are becoming one flesh. When, when you get married, you, you become identified with that person. It's, it's the coming together of two lives. It's, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Um, there's a sign that is being given that, that serves as a symbol of, of that covenant. Um, there's, there's rings that are, are exchanged. When, when God made a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again, what did he, what did he give him? He gave him a sign. It was a, it was a rainbow, a symbol of a covenant. There's also a change of name. Uh, when, before my wife uh, married me, her name was Amy Mills. And then we entered into a covenant together. And as a result of that, her name now is Amy Bloy. When God and Abram entered into a covenant, what was the first thing that God did? He changed Abram's name to Abraham. It was a sign of a covenant. Um, There's also a meal that is shared. A wedding cake is a sign that that a covenant has been made. When covenants were made in the Bible, oftentimes people would gather together afterwards um, to to symbolize it with a meal. There are also witnesses present. Many times in the Old Testament when covenants covenants would be made, they would actually um, stack up stones um, as a witness that uh, that a covenant was made between two parties. When, when Jacob, if you remember, when Jacob was making uh, a covenant with Laban concerning his daughters, uh, Leah and Rachel, stones were stacked up as a witness of that covenant. God was called upon as a witness and a, and a meal was eaten. Um, when, you, when, you were, when you get engaged, even if it's uh, in Las Vegas by a guy dressed up uh, looking like Elvis, there are witnesses that are there to testify that a covenant has been made before God. So the question there is then is, how serious is God about covenants? Well, if you look at Malachi, um, God is actually speaking to the nation of Judah about a covenant he had with them as a nation. You actually get a, a really clear picture about the seriousness that God puts into the covenant, covenants he makes with his people. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 14 it says, You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. um, Verse 15 says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, Malachi writes. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And then in verse 16, it says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. In other words, the Lord told the nation of Israel, he says, I'm not going to accept your worship. Well, why not? Because he says, you have been unfaithful to the covenant, to the vows that you made with your spouse. You've broken a covenant. Then he says this. He says, I hate divorce. Now, why does God say he hates divorce? Because divorce wrecks the lives of children. It divides families, it divides friends, it creates bitterness and hatred amongst Christ followers. We've seen that where in our church where small groups get divided, families get divided. It, it can create conflicts in a church. Here's the truth. Um, 53% of all marriages in, in the U.S. are going to end up in divorce. That means that 53% of, of people who get married are going to break their marriage covenant. Now listen, there are instances in, in Scripture... Uh, where the Bible clearly lays out and, and actually permits divorce. But God still hates it. And he hates it because of all of the damage that it does to people's lives. When, when I got married to Amy, here, were, here, are the, here are the exact words that I said to her uh, with my marriage vows. I said this, I, Brian, take thee, Amy, to be, my wa- uh, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy accordance, and there to give thee my love. I said it with a, a whole lot more passion and, uh, and feeling when I looked in her eyes and said it. Uh, it, it certainly has as more so than what I'm doing now. But when I said those words, there were people who witnessed what I said. But most importantly, God stood as a witness to the words that I was saying, and He sealed them with a covenant. I made a promise to Amy and to God that I would honor those words for the rest of my life. Now, what does God expect from me when it comes to that promise, when it comes to that covenant? Well, first of all, he expects me to defend that covenant. We we could do a whole study on Ruth and Boaz or Mary and Joseph. We could study Paul's words in in Ephesians 5. But one of the things that that I've been called to defend is I've been called to defend my covenant partner. That means that I, I will never do anything that would embarrass her privately or publicly. That means that, that I will protect her reputation that means that, that I will encourage her to grow as an individual and honor her and respect her as a person that means that, that I will protect what comes into my house, my role as a covenant protector is to defend and, and protect what comes into my home that means that, that, that I guard my affections towards other women 1 Corinthians 13 is, is a good look at how we should treat our covenant partners we've also been called to defend our covenant marriage now I'm going to get practical with you for a moment When we enter into a covenant marriage, there is absolutely no room for harmless flirting. No harmless flirting on the internet or at work or or anywhere uh, that you might hang out. There's no, no room for rekindling an old flame on Facebook. There's no room for internet chatting with the opposite sex. There's no room for fantasizing over someone that is not your husband or wife. There's no room for looking at or lusting after others on the internet or in person. And there's certainly no room for violating that covenant by committing adultery. Here's the bottom line. God takes covenants that we make with him very seriously. That's why marriage is a serious thing. That's why you don't walk into it. That's why you don't enter into it lightly. That's why we do premarital counseling here at Westridge Church, and I require uh, everyone I marry to to agree to do that before I will perform their wedding. That's why you need to make sure that, that when you agree to marry someone, that that someone is a person that you truly want to spend the rest of your life with that you don't enter into it lightly. But it also means that we enter into a covenant with God that he is going to partner with us to help us to keep it. He he knows that it's not always going to be easy. But we know that he's going to give us everything that we need to be successful at it. Um, Everything that we need, and everything that we need to be, not only successful in life, but everything that we need to be successful in a marriage, we find in our relationship with Christ. It's it's all there. One of the, the, the... passages of scripture, two verses actually, that I've just grown to love uh, over the last several years is Colossians 2, 9, and 10. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in in a human body. So also, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and over every authority. Complete means, when Paul writes this, that there's nothing that needs to be added. Complete means that it's all there. In other words, because of Jesus, you have everything that you need at your disposal right now in your life to have the kind of marriage that God wants you to have, to truly make this the, the, the best year ever. The question that you have to ask yourself is this. Is Jesus, if he has, if he has everything that I need, if, if nothing needs to be added, everything I need is in Christ, is Jesus at the very center of your life? Is he at the very center of you being a husband or being a wife? Is he at the very center of your marriage, your marriage covenant? And if he's not, i want going to just ask you right now to bow your head with me. Um, you're watching this at home. You may be watching it at the office right now. Just take a moment um, and ask the Lord to be at the very center of your life. If you're a Christ follower, you know Jesus is your personal Savior, uh, maybe you've never realized that uh, the seriousness of the covenant that you've entered into. And maybe it's just kind of hit you for the first time. Um, that God takes what you said, the covenants that you made, very seriously. Takes it so seriously that he's given you everything that you need to fulfill that covenant, to live that out uh, successfully through Jesus Christ. And right now, you may want, you just may want to repent of some sin. Uh, maybe there's been in, some things in your life that have violated that covenant. And, uh, and you just want to make those things right. And you want to just put those things before the Lord and repent of those sins. The Lord promises that he will forgive you. That he'll be faithful in that way uh, to just clean, clean things up and to help you have a fresh start with him. And so if you want to take a moment right now uh, with your head bowed, um, if, if you're in your office, you might want to shut the door for a moment and just get serious with the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you that you've given me everything in Jesus that I need to fulfill my marriage covenant. But there's some things in my life that don't need to be there, that shouldn't be there. And I'm sorry for those things. I I actually repent of those things, and I change my mind about them. They're not going to help me in my marriage. They're not making things better. And so, Lord, would you forgive me? I lay those sins out in front of you right now, and I ask you to forgive me of those sins. For some of you, um, maybe you've never put Jesus in your life. He's never been invited to be uh, your Savior, uh, to be the Lord of your life. And so right now, um, I want you to know that God offers you relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you the opportunity for things to be made uh, right between him and you. And so, you want to take a moment and bow your head. You may just want to pray something like this. Lord, at this very moment, um, I ask Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. I ask him to forgive me of my sins. And right now, I receive into my life the free gift of salvation that you offer by grace Lord, I realize that, Lord, the only way I can receive this is through faith. It is not my own works. I can't do that. Lord, there's nothing that I've done in my life that could be good enough to make things right between me and you. And so, Lord, um, before I can be a leader in my marriage, before I can be uh, the kind of husband or wife that you've called me to be, I realize that I need Jesus Christ in my life. And so I say yes to everything that Jesus has done for me on the cross. The payment for sins, the blood that was shed, the body that was given for, for me uh, to make things right between me and you. And I ask Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love for uh, you to let someone at our church know that you made that commitment to the Lord today. You can contact our offices at any time. You can email us uh, at, uh, by going on to our website at westridge.com. Let us know that you made that decision. If you need to get some counseling, we'd love to, to come alongside of you. You can reach out to our counseling offices uh, here at Westridge Church uh, during business off, uh, hours or leave a message on our, on our voicemail and we'll get back to you because we're interested in what you're going through. We're, we're very interested in your family. We're praying for you. And so we'd love to come alongside of you and, and get you the, the kind of help that you need because we wanna see your marriage be successful. Hey, we're gonna be back next week and uh, my wife Amy and I are gonna be here at Westridge uh, on Sunday morning. The services are at 9, 11, and 1245. And we're gonna be sharing with you Uh, just a little bit about what it's like uh, to be uh, in the empty nest. My wife and I have kind of moved into a new season of life, and we're empty nesters. Our two boys are off at college, and there's been some things that we've learned uh, over the last year or so, some some things that God has, things that we've been teaching that all of a sudden have just become very real to us, and we want to share some of those things with you over the next few weeks. And so we look forward to seeing you uh, back next Sunday at Westridge Church. God bless. Have a great, great week, and just know that you're loved.